Hello, everybody. This is Sana Green. Happy New Year. I hope this year is shaping up well for you. It's, it's actually been a great year for me. I'm looking forward to moving into a new 30-year cycle. I was told by Kelly Beard, who did an astrology reading for, for us, for me, in November, that I am entering a new 30-year cycle, and I feel it. I feel new and fresh. I feel new possibilities happening. I'm actually going to be starting a new podcast called Ever Since, so look for that. This is actually season 1.5. In December, I said, okay, this is the last show that I'm doing. This is this is um the last show, but I realized I have not shared with you all the second half of my interview with Oya Amakizi. Oya is an activist and an artist and a filmmaker. And she works with young, with young women, and she does so many wonderful things in our community here in Detroit. She also has been researching her geneal- genealogy since she was 13. So she has a lot of tips and tricks about how to connect to your ancestors. I'm really interested in my ancestors. Well, I work in spurts. Sometimes I'm really interested, and I start, and then I reach a wall, and then I set it down for a few months, and then pick it back up. Well, she actually gives some tips about where to start when you pick the research back up. And in the second half of the interview, she shares practices that you could use if you are having challenges, or if you and your ancestor have had challenges, because we can heal any kinds of relationships or rifts that we've had with our ancestors. And part of what genealogical research does and acknowledging our ancestors, if you listened to um, some of the earlier episodes, there was, a, um, there was an episode where we talked about Ifa. Ifa is a Yoruba spiritual practice that connects to ancestors and looks at them as helpers for us in our lives. I for sure am connected to my ancestors who have passed on and they are helping me every day. Sometimes you may need to heal some things. You may be the person in your family who is tasked with generational healing as, as I am. So how do you do that, especially if there's so many emotions and so many years of woundedness that you have to get through? Well, Oya speaks briefly about that so you can kind of get started and, and look at, do some rituals that can help you move to the next level. I hope you enjoy this episode. I look forward to connecting with you. Please like, subscribe, share this podcast with whoever you think might be interested in hearing and um, send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Center Her Power Podcast on Instagram, Center Her Power Podcast on Instagram. You can also email me, Sana S-A-N-A-A, at centerherpower.com. And I do have a website, so you can go to the website. And please do go to the website because I'm actually working on some, some really great projects, and I'll be sharing them on the website, some courses and, and some other things. So stay tuned, and I look forward to hearing from you.
Welcome to In the Center of Her Power podcast, where you can get divine feminine soul food. The divine feminine is re-establishing itself in the world, and you need tips and tools to make it your own. I am so excited. I mean, I just, it just feels joyful. I feel like we're meeting in person. Um, and that we're hugging each other. And so I've been able to, for instance, I've been searching for my third great grandfather for um, for two decades, right? Um, over two decades. I really wanted to know who was the father of my second great grandfather, Robert Lee. He was born during Reconstruction. Um, and different family members had different names for the father. And you have to also be careful when you're doing research at just taking information from someone else's tree and automatically adding it to your own. You always have to double check, find out where their sources were, look at the sources yourself to make sure it's correct. Because if you ask them, they would say up and down that Logan Lee was my third great grandfather, our third great grandfather. He was not. <laughs> and through DNA matches and research, I was um, able to determine that my, um, my third great grandfather was a, name, a man named Abner um, Lee. Copton Lee um, and Wentworth Lee. He was a white man, right? Um, and he came from a long line of slave owners, of human traffickers. Let me change that term. I'm working on my vocabulary of human traffickers. I was able to trace that line all the way back to the 1580s. How were you able to find out who who he was, who Abner, who your third great-great-grandfather was. Right. Like, so, what are the steps? Because like uh, I said, I, I can go back to my, my great-grandfather who was enslaved, but I don't know beyond, beyond that. So DNA, I mean, Ancestry, Ancestry.com recommended him as my third great grandfather. And I said, hell to the gnaw. Sorry for cussing. Uh, no, I don't want him to be. <laughs> um, and it wasn't enough evidence at the time for me to uh, accept that as automatically true. But I didn't totally reject it. Um, I put it in my shoebox. So you had the option to save an Ancestry.com things to your shoebox to go back later and review in case, you know, if you want to see if maybe that information, you have more information and you realize I was correct. And so um, through my DNA matches, when you're on Ancestry, which I think um, Ancestry.com has the largest database of um, DNA matches. Uh, in the world right now, right? And so you get the option when you do your searches to put in the surname of your ancestor. So I found in my older records that my oldest record of my great, my second great grandfather, it was spelled L-E-A instead of L-E-E. -E. Um, and two, two federal records, it was spelled L-E-A. So instead of using L-E-E, -E, I put in L-E-A, and these matches came up. 
So I started looking at the matches and it's a process of determining. Um, I do a spreadsheet on Excel where I put a list of all these all these matches and the names and I configure which ones are actually names that keep coming up over and over and over again. In particular, the Lee family from Coswell, North Carolina came up in over 20 matches. It was a very hardcore, definite, this is my family. <laughs> okay, so that's a, that's the thing. So, But what I'm finding, so I'm, not, I'm not on um, Ancestry. I'm on 23andMe. And when the matches come up, most of the people are younger and they don't have any names or location or anything. But I, And then I also use um, family, family tree, wait, Family search, which is through the Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Mm-hmm. So those are great resources for research, but when you're talking about DNA matches, the best space is Ancestry. Ancestry, okay. Mm-hmm. And with Family Tree DNA, the best space is to differentiate between your um, your maternal and paternal um, matches. Is if you because the family tree DNA is one of the only sites ancestry doesn't do it that offers your mitochondrial DNA test and your Y DNA test. Yes. Yeah. I did. So you're, I did my mitochondrial through um, family tree DNA. And then I did my mother's brother's Y DNA through um, family search. I mean, family tree DNA. So you can also look and see which ones are just on your maternal line. Right. And then compare that to your matches that are on Ancestry as well. But as you develop uh, your list, you can break those, you can save those matches into categories. I base my categories on the names of my great grandparents and um, and through their lines. Sometimes my second great grandparents, I break it down through those um, surnames and I find people who are so when you start doing that, you'll see a pattern of who's on your maternal line. I do a maternal group and I do a paternal group. As you do your maternal group, you'll start seeing new matches that come through who are also matches to those maternal um, matches. And so you could put those in groups. It helps you to break it down and not waste time trying to figure out which line you're in. And so through this research, I discovered that the lead line is not only on my mother's side, but it's also on my father's side. What? Yes. And so the Lee family is related to me on both sides of my family. My family came from North Carolina and they ended up in Alabama and Arkansas. And so um, my, my grandfather's mother, she was born in North Carolina. Her family was born in North Carolina. Her grandfather's name is listed as Thomas Dobbin Lee, L-E-A, same thing. I didn't even think about it, but as I did my matches, I realized, oh, wait, this is the same family. <laughs> no wonder I have so many matches to this family. And so I looked at the trees, and Thomas is listed in um, some of those trees, as well as Abner and others, the, the, the distinct lines. And so... Um, my my second great grandfather was a son of Thomas Lee, 
And um, on my my father's side, my paternal second great grandfather was related to Thomas Lee. And my second great grandfather, maternal grandfather, was related to Abner Lee of the same family. Wow. You know, I read that sometimes once 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 um, it was outlawed to bring slaves from from Africa, that I don't even know if it was once it was outlawed, the 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 people who were hold, who were enslaving or the human traffickers actually decided to grow new breed. workers to breed. And so they 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 fathered and then bred um, children to become workers so that they didn't have to bring new people from Africa, even, or maybe they couldn't bring new people from Africa because I think it was in the 1830s when the, when it was officially outlawed to, when the slave trade was officially outlawed, but it seemed like it lasted even longer than that. I think there were certain loopholes to it. So they continued to, um, first of all, they, they, they were, White men have been raping black women since we've been on this land, period. <laughs> uh, That's just and the truth. That's w- just the truth. And, you know, I know that Chip Gates loves on um, on his shows to talk about love affairs and all that. No, it was, it was rape. It was sexual violence. They did not have control. They were enslaved. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemingway, uh, Sally Hemings uh, were not lovers. He was her raper. He was her her human trafficker. Um, And so um, they did pass laws uh, in certain. So it depends on where you were in the in the colonies, in the states at the time. Right. So in certain areas, they um, they outlawed slavery more in the north. Uh, New York and places like that. Uh, and matter of fact, there's a major case with Georgetown uh, University because the Jesuits who um, um, founded that school used enslaved Africans to build the school. And they also sold uh, African people to help fund the school. Yes. And then they had uh, and, African and they were people sent to the sun. who were working their crops. Oh, all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tobacco, all of it. Mm-hmm. So they they prospered from slave, slave labor uh, of enslaved African people. Um, and so um, after it was outlawed in that area, they started um, selling them down south. They didn't just free those people after they changed those laws. They sold them. <laughs> Uh, and they had multiple migrations from the north as those laws passed to the south, deeper and deeper into the south. Uh, as the laws became more stricter, they, they would move their enslaved Africans to different states. I'll give you an example. So even after they knew the uh, um, they had lost the Civil War, so instead of uh, the fear of being forced to uh, free the people that they enslaved. A lot of folks from, a lot of uh, human traffickers from Alabama, Arkansas, other places moved to Texas. You know, and that was one of the last places that Africans learned that they had been freed. And so, um, yeah, they've been they've been raping uh, African women for a very long time, but they were also as they moved deeper into the South to make more profit, to have and and as cotton boomed and other crops boomed, they needed more people. So breeding was easy to do that, and you didn't have to purchase people, even if it was 
legal to you know import them from Africa. They will often uh, force um, men and women who were family members. They could have been brother and sister. They could have been father daughter. They had no care whatsoever um, how they forced our ancestors to breed um, or to have control of what happened to those children. And so that's what I uh, what I'm talking about in terms of these mixtures and how we have been so deeply impacted as a people, and we still this country is not ready, still not ready, to have those conversations. They're willing to even use um, false narratives, continued false narratives, and lies and and terms that don't even apply to deny our history in this country. Um, and to ban it from schools. And the reality is, is that we have to deal with it. We are, we are here. <laughs> we are going nowhere. You forced our ancestors here. We are here and you're going to deal with it, you know? And so, um, you know, as I'll give you an example. Also, you live in very small towns. People are, after they were freed, what people don't know, and I'm learning this as I learn about the Freedmen Bureau records, that the Freedmen Bureau will actually transport people to different states to get a fresh start. And so your family may have lived in North Carolina, but the Freedmen's Bureau may have helped them move to Alabama, right? So my family moved from North Carolina to Alabama. I have family members who moved from Tennessee to Arkansas. Um, I have family members who also lived in Indian country and who were indigenous and some were possibly enslaved, but who were also indigenous, um, which is documented. Um, and the so-called five civilized tribes, I think, you know, um, one of the reasons they were called civilized is because they were willing to cooperate with, with the um, human traffickers in the South, right? Yes. So they also enslaved African people. And it was, <laughs> you know, so they also intermarried, interbred, same thing uh, with African people um, and did not want to free them afterwards. So after the Emancipation Proclamation, they were fighting to still hold on to their enslaved Africans, and they were forced to release them. Now, and this, this is, even they happened... Were, this is after the, the, the Trail of Tears, when they had moved west, because the Trail of Tears was in with 1830s to 1850, I think. And they had Africans on the Trail of Tears. So they, they moved, went with them. You know, because I'm really interested in that, because when I was thinking that the haplogroup B was um, connected to Native American lineage. I, I, I read about the five civilized tribes, and I had made up the story. And we're part of the Mississippian culture, and because the Chickasaw, Choctaw, and Cherokee actually have over 50% of their people um, have haplogroup B. And um, and so I was thinking, oh, this may have worked because they were in Tennessee and and my family is from Arkansas as well. Um, my grandfather's will have ancestors from Alabama and um, and then my mother is from Arkansas. And so I was thinking when I look at the map, Tennessee, Mississippi and Arkansas are right there together. So it, you could you could I mean, where my mother is from. You cross the Mississippi River from from you fly. We when we fly there, we fly into Memphis, drive down to Mississippi, cross the Mississippi River, and then her town is right on the other side of the Mississippi River. So mm -hmm. you've already been in three states. So I had made up the story. 
the thing the thing about it is I was looking for my mother's father's ancestors and I really have not found much about them in the DNA records or in the census records that I looked but when I looked at the the names of the people who were um with the um Native Americans for the Trail of Tears because they they had them separated by the percentage of blood that they were like one eighth one quarter I forgot how it actually worked but his last name was I saw his last name quite a few times so I'm thinking but I kind of set it aside because I said well but my DNA doesn't say that I'm you know um that I have any Native American but you just told me that there could be an ancestor whose DNA I don't actually I can't actually see who who might be and who might be an ancestor so, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's or or they may have been enslaved by those people may right? have been enslaved by it's, those people. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so it could be both. And there are so many more records in the Dawes records. Dawes records. Dawes, that's what Dawes records. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there are so many more records. They kept their own census records, their land records, um, all types of records that you can find on um, ancestry DNA. They have millions. Matter of fact, they just imported over 3 million um, Freedmen Bureau records that are indexed. The largest um, out of all the databases um, that are indexed. So it was on familysearch.org and I, that's the Latter-day Saints. And so I was able to find multiple family lines in the Freedmen Bureau records, but I had to go through each page one by one looking. I knew the, you know, the area in which they live, the county and town or certain area. I would go through and look through each one and I was able to find the Winston family line. Um, I was able to find the Lee family line uh, and a few others, right? And so, Um, for instance, with the Winston line, it was actually my uncle. So people often stick to just their direct ancestral line. They'll do their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, blah, blah, blah. But those aunts and uncles and cousins and filling all that out, learning their children's names, getting those records where they lived is essential to understanding your family tree because often grandparents lived with their niece, you know, with their grandchildren or with their children. It may not have been your parents. So you're missing out on records that could have shown you where they were. Uh, It shows the migration pattern of your family lines because families tended to move together. So for instance, my grandfather, when they moved from Fonsdale, when they moved from the country and moved to Birmingham, um, my grandfather and his three sisters all lived right next door to each other. And when they moved to Detroit, they moved as a group. <laughs> Only one sister stayed, two sisters left with them, and they all lived right next close to each other, like within one block radius, a blo- two block radius, you know, uh, and raise their children together. So understanding where your aunts and uncles were and their children and seeing the name patterns seeing how those change that also helps you to understand how your family may have been recorded in uh, different records also shows where they lived um, and as I said my um, my uncle Sam Winston my my um, second great uncle through him I was he's they shared his entire family so they showed him his new wife 
his parents and all of his siblings in this one record. Wow. They also told which plantation they were, they came from. They also shared who they currently work for. So I can go back in, um, in, um, employment contracts and work contracts and go and find that person, Mr. Long and where he lived in that area and see the contracts that he had with different family members in addition to that. So, I mean, it's a, and they give a wealth of information to tell you how they looked, their complexion, how tall they were, how many children they had, sometimes who just died in the family. So there's so, there's a wealth of information in these records. And this is the Freedmen's Bureau records that were just released through Ancestry. No, the, these were records I actually found on FamilySearch.org, where oh, I actually went okay, through page okay. by page looking for these. Okay. Now they're indexed, so <laughs> sky's the limit. <laughs> wow. You know, I could go in and um, and put in names and search for them, and so you have to also experiment with different spellings of your family's name. Mm-hmm. Um, be very fluid about time frames of when they were born. Um, sometimes take out the race and see what shows up because I found that sometimes you put black in, it'll limit, um, your resources, it'll show up none. But if you take that out, you'll have a ton and it may say Negro instead of black. It may say mulatto instead of black. And people also, this thing about being mulatto, bless folks heart. Um, it wasn't always based on complexion. Some majority of time it was, but sometimes I would change in different decades and depending on who took the records, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so, um, yeah. And so, uh, in my family, like my, my paternal grandmother, she was listed as a mulatto in multiple records, you know, the earlier records. And then by 1940, she was a Negro. And I'm sure when the 1950s census records come out very soon, <laughs> she'll be listed as a Negro again. Um, and her mother um, was listed as a mulatto. However, her mother's father, um, as I said, I showed you in the indigenous records, he he lived in Indian country, uh, Tom Gaines, and that there's a strong possibility that he was of mixed uh, indigenous and uh, European heritage. And her mother had blue eyes and was very, very light. Uh, and my grandmother was a lighter skinned um, black woman, but her, her grandmother, her aunt, and the women who raised her were very dark skinned women, you know? And so it's how they categorize a family um, and what that looks like. It just depends on who's taking those records. But at the end of the day, we're black, (laughs) you know, and I know we have conversations around being um, multicultural or um, biracial um, in our current language. But how they define themselves back then, we have to put things in historical context. Right. And so, for instance, my mother's people, as I said, Abner Lee is my third great-grandfather. My second great-grandfather, his name was Robert Lee. My great-grandfather's name was Euless Grant Lee. <laughs> they were named after Confederates. Hate it, hate it. Uh, Grant Lee. Uh, and, then, um, and then his son, um, his sons were Ralph and Trefus, right? Um, my great, my third great-grandfather, my second great-grandfather, 
and my great-grandfather easily passed for white. Right? Um, my grandmother and mother are very light-skinned women. However, the way they defined themselves, they were very proud and clear that they were black people. Mm-hmm. Right? right? And society dealt with them that way. Right. Society didn't go, oh, you're biracial or your dad is white. So we're, you know, that was not the case. They dealt with the same level of vitriol, of terrorism and hatred in this country that every other black did. And, you know, my mother used to say, and it's a horrible saying, that when the KKK came to the KKK came to lynch people, they didn't say, oh, you're light skinned. We're going to leave you alone. Or when it came to distribution of wealth and, you know, and having equity within this country, they didn't go, oh, you're this percentage white. So we're going to give you this, you know, uh, that was not the case. And so they're, they tended to be race people. Matter of fact, my mother was a stronger race woman than my father who was dark skinned. You know, you think about W.E.B. Du Bois, you think it'd be, Booker T. Washington, you think of Malcolm X, you think of his mother, um, if you think of many people who, um, Adam Clayton Powell Jr. and his dad, who may have been white, uh, <laughs> they were very, very strong race people who, um, who um, identify very strongly with their African heritage. I know, I, I, I have friends like that. I have friends like that who um, very strongly identify with with being black. And, you know, in this country, there's, it's the truth. It's the truth. I mean, unfortunately, you kind of have to deny, people kind of have to deny part of who they are. You know, what I have a question, I don't know if you can, under, if you can answer it for me. My question is, does the percentage, because, like, does the percentage that you are, so the, my percentage African, does that, does that increase with the years? Like, do I become more African as my ancestors who were, um, who also all of my, all of the, all of the people that I have known, my grandmothers and grandfathers were, were considered black. So how, how many generations is it before the percentage <laughs> of black increases? Do you know what I mean? Oh, uh, I mean, as I said, uh, there's a lot of people involved in creating us <laughs> in our ancestors. So you may have one uh, white, uh, one or two, three, you know, white third great grandparent or something like that. Um, but race, number one, is a social construct. Right. Right. Uh, so in terms of our DNA, we're just human. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, but socially, culturally, politically, spiritually, um, no, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about genetically does how, how, how many generations do you have to be, um, like, like black, like, you know, shouldn't, so shouldn't the percentage of black increase with the generations? Not necessarily. It depends on which genes you get, like you said at the beginning. 
<laughs> what genes you get and who people marry. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of uh, cousins. As I said, some of my family lived in Indian country. Some of them moved to Texas. I have a lot of um, um, cousins who have uh, Mexican ancestry. Really? Uh, yeah. So I have, uh, and then my mother's line, my matrilineal line came from, um, from Africa through Asia, through the States, right. Uh, and through the Caribbean. And so, um, my mother's line is in indigenous and African and they lived in Jamaica. They lived in Dominica. They lived in Jamaica. I have lots of matches in Cuba, Puerto Rico, all in the Caribbean. Uh, from my mother's line, mm -hmm. um, and through, and then through, I think through Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland, over in that area, through Virginia, all the way over to Mississippi and Arkansas. How they defined themselves was African people, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and then in terms of percentage wise, I mean. Um, and then some people confuse your percentage of ancestry with your phenotype as well. So what you come out looking like can also depends on what you inherited from different family members, different ancestors. So, you know, um, I, I look all of, I have uh, two brothers and, and a sister. We don't look alike, but we look alike. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so my mother was born with blonde hair and blue eyes so is my brother i have you know very dark eyes almost bluish with very very straight hair and very slanted eyes i look very uh asian as a as a child <laughs> for a long time right um and then i have uh more african features than some of my siblings so my my brothers are very light and <laughs> my sister, uh, she looks, um, she looks, she died, uh, two years ago. My sister oh, I'm sorry looked to hear Ethiopian. That. Okay. Thank you. My, she looked Ethiopian. So, um, if she was around somebody from, uh, East Africa, she would fit in very easily with, uh, Ethiopian people. Right. Very comfortably. They wouldn't know. Right. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit. One of the things that I really admire about you, Oya, is that you seem to really integrate a spiritual connection with your ancestors. And you have taken up the mantle to help heal some of the generational traumas that have happened in your ancestral line. And I'm just wondering if you if you can share um, something that came up for you to heal and maybe not the, all the details, but what you did, if you should come across something that is, 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 a, is, an, a, is an issue that needs to be healed. Like for example, for me, my um, uncle, one of my mother's brothers basically hated his mother because of the way she treated him. And she felt he, he felt she was, um, not very nice, just to, to say the least. And I have felt that conflict. You know, they, 
she had her reasons for what she did, which came to me, and he had his broken heart for her not showing up as a, as a loving, nurturing presence for him. And that's something that I think has come up for me to work on um, sending some healing energy f- on for the family. And has anything like that come up for you? And, and how do you, how have you managed it? Or have you, how have you processed it? What kind of spiritual work have you done to help bring healing? Well, one of the gifts of genealogy is you get to see the humanity of your ancestors. There are stories that sometimes they can't tell you that they, um, in order to survive, they have to stuff it deep down within them. Um, and they don't pass that down to their children. And it's a way to protect them and to protect, protect their children and to protect themselves. Some of those things include being cold or distant, um, being very strict, um, really trying to give your children and their children tools to survive in this very harsh society. As I do my genealogy research, I've uncovered lots of stories about my ancestors, who they loved, um, who they didn't love and how they still managed, you know, how we still got here, Um, the moves they had to make, the stories of lynchings in my family, for example, um, being abandoned. Um, There's so many factors of being incarcerated. My second great grandmother, I found her incarcerated in 1902. And in the record, they do a explicit description of the scars that are on her body. And she must have went through hell. And I cried when I read that, you know. Oh, I'm um, sure. She she still found a way to get back to her children um, and to raise them and to be with them even when they had their children. And my grandmother, you know, lost her mother when she was just an infant. She was a very small girl. She was still a toddler. And so um, there were issues of abandonment. And, you know, it's been a pattern in some families of abandonment because of that, especially around incarceration. Um, And in my spiritual work, it has been a space of forgiveness of acknowledging the humanity of my ancestors. And it helps me to acknowledge the humanity within myself and to be more patient with myself. It has taught me to forgive people and things I didn't understand and ways in which they behaved, um, to understand it on a deeper level and to really forgive them and to pray for release for them and their pain, which I know they have and that it doesn't continue in the generations after us. And so I have an ancestral altar that I maintain, that I talk to my ancestors, that I um, 
go to them with my issues and ask for support and guidance that um, I bring them gifts of love, things I know they liked. For instance, I found out that my uh, second great grandmother loved snuff. <laughs> and so I had snuff on my altar for her. My you grandmother dipped snuff. She was a little bitty woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she dipped snuff. Mm-hmm. And she was a little bitty woman. Uh, and she, um, when she became older, she um, had Alzheimer's, unfortunately. She lived with my Uncle Joe, um, and it got to the point where she stopped remembering English, and she only spoke her indigenous tongue. And she kept trying to run away to go home, back to her people. She was taken away from her people. And just imagine the trauma. She must... uh, Cherokee people, yeah. Wow. So you can just imagine uh, being so traumatized as a child that they took you away from your family. And she was taken uh, to a black, ended up with a school. She ended up with a black family at the end of the day um, who were actually kind of violent towards her. They treated her just like a slave. Um, And um, my second great grandfather came along and helped her escape and they married each other as young people. And so this is, you know, this is like 50 plus years later, you're, you know, you're a deep elder and um, you're still speaking your indigenous tongue and you want to go back home. And she's, you know, so they had to like really pour love into her. You know, and as I took care of my mother, I could see um, when she was dying that I took care of her in hospice care, that she had more memories of the past than she did of the present. And I could just imagine, you know, what that had been like with my second great grandmother. And I remembered how well they took care of her. And I wanted to make sure that I gave that same love to my mother, you know. And so she passed away very peacefully in a loving space where she was honored. And um, it just takes, it takes pulling from not just our pain, but recognizing our resilience, recognizing our strength, recognizing our power as a family. And that no matter what these human traffickers, these white domestic terrorists did to our ancestors, they still loved each other. They still loved their children. After uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, even before then, um, in the Freedmen Bureau records, you could see where they had written letters looking for their loved ones. They went from state to state looking to find their loved ones who have been sold away, you know. And so that keeps me together. That gives me strength and hope and understanding that it was the dreams of my ancestors for a better future for me is why I'm here today. And to honor that, I have to make sure that I create a better world for the generations behind me. That's also tied into my activism. And so um, it's an honor every time I connect to my family tree, every time I share these stories with my family who gets so excited. <laughs> like we have a, a Facebook group that I started and my um, 
all, I have 20 something first cousins and, you know, their children and my aunts and uncles and other extended family are on this. And when I share the research that I have and new people, I mean, they get excited like it's a new movie coming out or like a good game. And it makes me feel so good because we're remembering them. You know, they're not just these names or distant people or, you know, my great, great, great. No, they have names and they have stories and they have love and we're the product of that, <laughs> you know. And so it's a joyful healing journey for me um, doing genealogy. Well, oh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming and sharing so much information about genealogy and just in how it and how it impacts your life because I can see it's all over you I, I did a reading recently and the astrologer said that one of my houses is in the house of the ancestors you must have a few houses in the house of the ancestors a few a few um, planets in the house of the ancestors because you are really en engrossed and and it's great that you're sharing with your family and and thank you for sharing all the posts that you do on Instagram because they're you know they, they motivate me it's like oh really because I had really, like I said, I had really felt that I had reached an impasse. So, so I'm excited to go back and go back to the Freedman's records. And I just have to check all of the different lines because I checked a couple and I didn't find anything. But I'm going to have to just check all the names that I know and see who I might be able to find. And then I think I probably need to expand the, the, the states because you mentioned that people often moved especially after emancipation because I know like my 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 maternal great-grandfather was married once and his he and his wife lived in Louisiana this is when they were still enslaved then he remarried and he ended up living in Mississippi so I probably should go back and look at Louisiana so we have to and then when you see records you have to actually go through line by line and see if if people are listed together because you might see records of families listed there. And, you know, so there, those are some really great tips just to, to get started with how to go, you know, there's so many records and, and, and then you have to, the other thing you said that I remember is you have to use different spellings of names and you have to, you have to be generous with the years that you're using. Though I think those As, things absolutely. will make a really big difference in, in, in my search and take out the race. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Take out race. Um, and then um, there are wonderful sources that are available now. So YouTube has a wealth of information that's free, free, free. <laughs> Check out Black Pro Gen, B-L-A-C-K, Pro, P-R-O, Gen, G-E-N, Black Pro Gen Live. Um, they have a whole series of professional black genealogists who do a series of genealogy uh, talks that cover a Freedmen Bureau records, Freedmen's records from you know the five civilized tribes. Um, help you do research in Alabama, North Carolina, and certain areas. And these are experts in those areas as well. 
Also, check out the Genealogical Society in your area. So here in Detroit, we have the uh, Fred Hart uh, Genealogical Society, which is a wonderful resource of Black genealogists. And um, there's a whole network across this country also. Check out the conferences. A lot of them are online right now, so you don't have to travel. It may cost you 20 bucks, 30 bucks, but you'll have first-class research in how to to navigate those records from professionals for, you know, for a very small price. What's an example on of a Ancest conference? What's an example of a name of a um, conference? Sure. So let me give you one right now. So um, we have one coming up with the Indiana Genealogical, African-American Genealogical Society. They do an annual conference. So they bring uh, black genealogists from all over the country to this uh, conference and, um, I mean, it is amazing. They tell you like details that you can't find in books. <laughs> For instance, with the Freeman Bureau records, um, you may you may live in Mississippi, but like you said, she's right on the Mississippi River. The records may have been on the other side and um, in another state, you know. And so those G pro genealogists could tell you, oh no, those records are in Tennessee or certain records that would be in Arkansas, they're in Kansas or certain records that are in Oklahoma where you would find those. Oh no, these are the long list of indigenous records that are available, not just the Dawes records. And so through watching those videos, through joining those groups and interacting and taking classes, I have expanded my research, I mean, trifold it's just i've gone so much further and i was able to trace my african ancestors as early as the late 1700s really how did you do that i, yes, I know i want to enter in the interview but i gotta find out <laughs> how you did that sure i sure and so it just took lots and lots of work and i always always um push for making sure that your roots are very strong. So making sure you have you, your information in there, your parents, all the places they lived, the schools they went to, as much information as you can acquire about them. Then do the same for each generation above them. So make sure you try to get as much information as you can about your grandparents, as much information as you can about your great grandparents and their siblings. And then that will help you as you navigate these records. You may find a record through your aunt or uncle about your great grandparents, you know, or your great, your second or third uncle may help you find your fourth grandparent, you know, your fourth great grandparent. And so really fill out that tree, fill out those cousins, uh, use DNA as a tool. So when you're doing your matches, as I said, break them down into surnames, use your great-great-grandparents, your second great-grandparents, if you can. Um, if it's just your grandparents, break it down into those groups and then do one group maternal, one group paternal. And then as you those matches come along, you see, oh, it's a pattern. You put those people in groups and then you look at all of their trees. Don't assume they're right. Don't automatically add that information to your tree. Read about the area in which your ancestors lived. Learn about the, the slave trade that was happening there. What crops? Who were the people in power? Find out where they sold enslaved people. And you'll be surprised where you'll find your ancestors in those records. It's a lot of research. It's like being a historian as well. But it's worth it.
Thank you so much for joining me for In the Center of Her Power podcast. I sincerely hope that you were fed with divine feminine soul food. Please like or subscribe or share the podcast. And until next time, shine.